Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about why and how you matter. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to subscribe to this podcast. If you're anything like me, then you have a whole bunch of podcasts that you find really valuable for your life. But if you don't subscribe, then you probably don't listen to those podcasts. Subscribing is free, and if you'll do it, then every Tuesday after we upload these sermons online, you'll get a little notification from your podcast player telling you that we have a new episode online. And so I really, really do hope that you'll subscribe. I think it would be helpful for you in remembering to listen to these sermons. At the same time, if you find these sermons to be valuable, then I also would hope that you would leave us a rating and or review. I was recently reminded about the power of sermons going out into the internet. On Instagram, we asked a question, how did you hear about our church? And we were surprised when somebody simply responded by saying podcast. And so we probed a little bit further and this woman had searched for something specific in a podcast player and she had found our sermons and she's been listening to them ever since. Here's the reality. When you leave a rating or review on our podcast, it helps for more stories like this to happen. It helps more people find our sermons and listen to them, and hopefully then they are impacted by the things that we preach. And so I just hope that you'll consider at least taking just a minute to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast at. We would sincerely appreciate it. Again, I thank you for listening, and I really do hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So I think I'm a a decent parent, and I I do a pretty good job of being intentional about things. Uh, And if you come to me and you ask me for advice, at least on how to parent little children, I I will have lots of things to say. But there is one area where I've been a terrible parent and Frankly, my wife, I think she's a great parent too, but she's been a terrible parent in this regard. And that's when it comes to uh, getting our children to sleep. And uh, my kids are four and two. And uh, last night was the first night in like a month that not one of them had come into our bed. Thankfully, they come into our bed if you feel too sorry for me. They come into our bed quietly, and uh, sometimes I don't know what happens, but they always are there. (laughs) It's like, it's almost scary. They just stealthily come in. They are in my bed when I wake up, and then I have to be quiet in the morning. And so we've been uh, trying to fix this problem for four years, and uh, and, uh, and we're getting desperate, and so we came up with this plan, and the plan was We'll just, we'll just pay them to stay in their own beds. And so uh, this is, uh, <laughs> amen, thank you. Uh, this is our quarter jar, and, and what we've done is, is this is, you can see how well we're doing, because Bryn and I get a quarter from each of our kids. This is Hudson's, this is Hazel's, and we get a quarter when they don't stay in their bed, and when they do, then we give them a quarter. And uh, it's been a great week taking money from my son, you know, we're going... <laughs> on vacation. We'll leave them with my parents. And, uh, and, and Hazel actually recently has, has turned a corner and uh, she hasn't come into our room very often. And uh, frankly, uh, I, I only bring this up because this, this is so indicative of, of all of life, how we incentivize people's achievements, right? And I remember when I was a kid, 
Uh, my grandma, before I started school, took very seriously my education. I'm eternally grateful for that. But we had this giant uh, star board. Like I'd get a star sticker and when I, you know, learned a letter or learned how to read or, you know, whatever, I'd get stars. I had progressive stars. And then after I got enough stars, I have no idea what happened. But uh, for me, as a guy who's wired to achieve, uh, I think the real memory is just that I was able to put stars onto this board. From the time we're kids, we're taught that, that with achievement comes certain, uh, certain benefits, right? Certain things, whether it's rewards or whether it's more responsibility or whether it's a better job or whatever it might be. We are wired to just look at achievement and say, if I achieve enough, then, then I get something out of it. And, and here's the sad kind of dark side to that. That's real, and that's, you know, if you don't work hard at your job, you're not going to get the promotion. If you do work hard at your job, you might not get the promotion anyway. But, uh, but the, the reality is, the dark side of this achievement culture that we live in is that oftentimes, I think what happens is that we start to believe that whether or not we matter is dependent on what we have achieved or what we have not achieved. I have had two kinds of, of people in my family, and uh, there, are, there are people that have been in my family that from the time I was born, uh, they looked at me, and, and I've said this in these, both of the sermons in this series so far, they've looked at me, and, and the way they've acted towards me, the things they've said towards me, the way they've interacted with me, all of it has said, you matter. But there's another part of my family, there's another type of family person that I've grown up with and, and that type of family member has, has said to me and said to others, uh, you will matter if, you will matter if you can live right, do right, be right, you know, as long as you kind of fit into whatever this box is, then, then you matter. And I, I know that many of you probably grew up, and I've said this in this series, with parents that that taught you that, right? I mean, you didn't feel like you mattered, and, and at some point you probably said, well, I don't matter because, metaphorically, I haven't, I haven't put enough quarters, you know, or they haven't put enough quarters into my jar. I haven't achieved enough. I haven't done enough. I haven't worked hard enough. I haven't been obedient enough. I haven't been the right type of kid, the right type of person. And, and you, you grow up feeling like I would matter if. And I think that that is a really dangerous thing for us and, and our lives. And when it comes to the series, uh, You Matter, I think it's really dangerous for us actually believing the things that God has said to us about how much we do matter. So far in this series, we've seen that we matter because we were made. I mean, just the fact that we were created and we were created really special, we saw that last week, means that we matter. But we also know that we matter because God pays attention to us. If you were here last week, you might remember back that I finished a the sermon by saying every kid looks at their parent and and when they're about to do something cool or fun or exciting or dangerous what do they say they say watch me look at me and my my daughter did that yesterday we were at the playground at Bridgeport waiting for my phone to get fixed and and she's about to climb up something and and she's yelling out doesn't care about all the other people she's looking at me from across the way saying watch me daddy watch me and then she'd pop up and pop down and then you know she did every time she made sure that I had seen her uh, do whatever the thing was that she had done. And, and last week we talked about how God, it's so cool, he pays attention to us. And, and that's a really big deal. It's like, who am I that the God of the universe would pay attention to me? And man, the fact that he does means that I really do matter. 
But you'll struggle to believe those things if you're stuck in a place where you're going, do I have enough quarters in my jar? Have I done enough in order to matter? And what I want us to see today is that we do not earn mattering. We do not earn value. We matter and we matter no how matter. <laughs> that's funny. We matter and we matter no matter how bad or good or successful or unsuccessful or how well or poor we've done in our lives. And we are going to see that through the life of Jesus. But before we turn to some of these words that Jesus says, I want to point out that I think, well, so far you're like, yeah, I want to know I matter no matter what. I think that we're really guilty uh, of treating people like they matter when they have achieved certain things. And I, I think that this sermon will be helpful hopefully in two ways. One, because it will say, I think we'll see you matter no matter what. I should have written that down ahead of time. I really like it. You matter no matter what. But also, I think that it will help us to remember if we're paying attention to what we see here in, in the life of Jesus, it will help us to remember that other people matter no matter what. I look at our culture today and I think this is a cultural sermon as much as it is an individual sermon because something has happened that has changed in my lifetime. When I was younger, it seemed like everybody was willing to treat others as though they mattered, as though they had value, as though they were worth something. And now it seems that I look around, at least when it comes to social media, and it sure seems that we determine some people to not matter at all. Whether it's on the other side of the political aisle, whether it's people that aren't Christians, whether it's people that don't think like us. I mean, there's tons of people who look at other people of different races and say, well, you don't matter because you're not, you don't look like me. Uh, we do this in a variety of ways. And frankly, I think we do it. I think we do it on a daily basis. I think we look at certain people in the world that are not cool, that are uh, not in our socioeconomic class, that, that are homeless, and, and we treat them like they don't matter. Think about driving up almost every uh, off-ramp now, and, and you got the guy holding the sign. Uh, the homeless people that I've been friends with call it flying, uh, but they're panhandling, right? And, and these people are panhandling, and most of the time we drive right by them, and, and how do we treat them? Like they don't matter at all. Like they don't matter. I'm not saying you should give them money. I'm really not saying that. I've worked a lot with the homeless, but, but I'm saying that we, we are guilty of treating people like they don't matter, because they haven't achieved enough. And I think when we look at the life of Jesus and we look at these words that we'll look at from the mouth of Jesus today, it is, it is an incredible reminder, or maybe we'll think about it for the first time, uh, that every person matters no matter what. And, and here's where I want to start. It's weird, I know. Uh, I want to start it off by talking about the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath is Saturday, and, and God, when he created the world, rested on the seventh day, and then, and then he, he looked at his people, and he created this nation called Israel, and one of the rules, one of the laws that he gave them is that they were to rest on the Sabbath. He, he ordained this for people. He wanted them to rest, and uh, what had happened by the time we get to Jesus is that over time, people ha had looked at God and, and said, well, he told us not to work, and then they had created this giant written down spreadsheet, to use our modern vernacular, of what it meant to work and what it didn't mean to work. Like, if you take this many steps, you've worked. If you take this many, you don't. And this is before they had Apple Watches, so I don't even know how they were tracking <laughs> the amount of steps they were taking. Um, and so at the beginning of Matthew 12, 
Jesus' disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath, and they are picking the grain, and they're eating it because, because they're hungry. And, and this is something that was breaking the oral traditions uh, of the religious leaders. And, and so Jesus, then he offers a couple of illustrations, and I'm not going to read them today, but at the end of this, in Matthew 12, 7 and 8, he says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I, I want to read that and then, and then tell you this other thing that is said in the book of Mark, another gospel, another story of Jesus' life in the New Testament, because in Mark, he adds a line, and, and I just, I would point out that, man, if, if you've never read the story of Jesus in the Bible, a lot of pastors will tell you to start with John, and uh, I, I won't. I think Mark is a great place to start because Mark is so action-oriented, and he describes the feelings of Jesus throughout his gospel. And I, I, if you're human, then you can understand feelings and the way people feel, right? You may not understand the metaphor that Jesus is the light of the world, but, but you can look at Jesus and say, wow, I understand that feeling. And in, in uh, Mark, we, we read this story in a, in a different way. Uh, and, and part of that is that he gets, oh, sorry, I, I jumped ahead here. Uh, man, alive, I jumped ahead. Uh, but in Mark, it says, in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so, uh, what Jesus does is he starts to put this in, in some vernacular that, that the Sabbath is not this thing that God just created for no good reason. The Sabbath was actually created in order for God to bless people. Uh, the Sabbath in some ways, if I could stipulate from that, is a reminder that God thinks people matter. That God is looking at people and he says, you're so valuable that I want to bless you with a day of rest. And then, and then, in Matthew, going back to Matthew, there's this transition, and it's this other story of Jesus doing something on the Sabbath that people don't like. And this is the story that I want to look at today. And, and here's what's so interesting about uh, Matthew, is that Matthew themes things together, right? And so he tells us these back-to-back Sabbath stories. And the second one says so much, I think, in just one single line about, about what Jesus thinks about all people. Here's Matthew 12, 9 and 10. Going on from that place, he went to their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, the setup is that they're trying to catch Jesus, right? They, they want Jesus to be uh, torn down by the people. They want to be able to look at Jesus and declare him a, a lawbreaker, a rule breaker, somebody that isn't holy, that isn't set apart for the work of God. They want to be able to say that Jesus isn't the Messiah. And there's this man <laughs> with a shriveled hand. And I want you to just, just think about this, just story-wise think about this. It's so fascinating. They don't look at this man and think, Wow, that's sad. This man has a shriveled hand. They don't look at this man and think, wow, I wonder if there's anything that we can do to help this guy. They don't look at this man and think, man, it's got to be awful to be in his shoes, to be here, you know, begging for money because he can't work or whatever. This is terrible. They look at the man and they see an opportunity to push their tradition forward to push their political opinion forward to push their ideologies forward and that's sad and it's what we do right 
I've mentioned the homeless. I think we look at homeless people, and man, what an epidemic in Portland, right? I mean, everywhere you go in, in the city of Portland, especially Portland proper, you look around, and there are homeless people everywhere. And I think we've almost gotten to a point where we look at those tents and we look at the people who live in them and, and we don't even think about them being people. We think, well, the mayor needs to do a better job or we think, wow, I, we need to fix mental health in this society or wow, we got to clean up the drug problem. And, you know, wherever your mind goes, we, we've almost stopped looking at the people that are hurting and broken as people and, and we've started to look at them as an issue. And when we begin to look at people as issues and not people, then we start to act like they don't matter anymore. And this is exactly what's happening here. We do it with those in prison. We do it with those who are diseased. I mean, we skip right past it sucks that a person has a disease and right to like what's wrong with the healthcare system in America. Uh, We look at the people who are sick and, and we don't even care. We look at the homosexual and the transgender and the celebrity and the politician and we we don't even see them as people anymore. We just see them as, as central to an issue and, and we try to put them into a box that gets them on the side of our issue. Now look, all of these things that I've brought up are important and I think we need to discuss them and I think that there's right and wrong and how the side we come out on some of these issues is really important and it matters. But God forbid. God, like really, I hope he forbids us from being a people, from being people that claim to follow him, that look at people and forget that they matter and, and just treat them as though they are important because they help, us, they help us argue for our viewpoint, our side of things. That's a really bad place to be. And I frankly think that's where most people are in our world today. And as Christians, and we're going to see this as we move into the words of Jesus to how Jesus handles this. As Christians, we have an obligation to no longer look at people just by the issue that they represent and to really look at people as God looks at them, as as creatures that matter more than any other creature. And here's what we read. Here's what Jesus says. It says in Matthew 12, 11 and 12, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, I'd just like you to consider how dumb this is for a second. The Sabbath law, the oral traditions, the spreadsheet that I mentioned earlier, permitted the rescuing of animals on the Sabbath, but not the healing of humans, even if their lives were in danger. Like, that's crazy, right? There's some serious inconsistencies there. In fact, after Jesus lives, uh, they, they realize this inconsistency, maybe through the life of Jesus and maybe through what Jesus points out here, I don't know. But Jewish people realize the inconsistency and so some people, some religious leaders' response to fix this inconsistency is to say, you know what, they're right. You can't, you can't rescue the sheep either. This is really in, written in, in Jewish law. That somebody said, well, okay, well, this is inconsistent. We can no longer rescue the sheep either. That's crazy. And Jesus looks at this terrible inconsistency. And he says, this is stupid. Like, you're not even thinking about this person as a person anymore. But I see them as a person. And aren't people, and this is such a great line, it's, it just, it's, when I was preparing this sermon, I was like, that's such an incredible line. Aren't people more valuable? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? 
Leon Morris says, people are worth so much that it's lawful to help them on the Sabbath. And here's what's so fascinating about this, just a little section here. Nobody argues with Jesus. In any of the Gospels that record this, nobody says, well, wait, let's have a conversation about whether people are more valuable than sheep. I don't know if I agree with that sentiment. All of the religious leaders, even though they don't like Jesus at all, they take this as a perfectly logical argument, apparently. Well, of course people are more valuable than sheep. And before I move forward, I want to point out that, that it seemingly, as, as you read through the Bible, God actually places a very high value on animals. Uh, Jesus is not saying something that is indicative of the lack of importance of, of the animal creatures. Uh, in fact, as you go through the Bible, it's so interesting, I said this a couple weeks ago, when God created his creation after making animals, he actually looks at creation and says, this is good. Uh, that's before people are created. And you may remember that I said that, that at the end of that story, after he creates people, he then says, you're, you're very good. My creation is very good. And I said, you are the very in God's very good creation. But the animals were created and God looks out and he says, they're good. In Psalms 50.10, it says that God declared uh, that God loves his animals, that they're his. They're his. Uh, there's at least uh, one law that talks about the treatment of animals. You let the animal eat while they're doing their work. That's pretty much what it says. We see that in, in Scripture that God provides food for animals and he quenches their thirst. And in Proverbs 12, 10, it says, the righteous care for the needs of their animals. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, it seems that God has placed a very high value on animals. But it's nowhere near the value that he has placed on us. He's looked at animals and says, they matter, but nowhere near. Like the pinnacle of my creation, the people that I have created. God cares about animals, but it's not even close to how much he cares about you. And here's what's, what's so cool. Jesus actually kind of describes this uh, several times as he walks on earth. In, in Matthew 6, 25 and 26, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Listen to this. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's like You want to know why you don't need to worry? Because you're more valuable than the birds. And God even cares about the ver birds and taking care of them. I, this summer, one of the cool things that happened to us this summer actually is that uh, right off of our back deck, a, uh, a bird, a pigeon, laid its eggs in a nest on this tree that, I mean, is probably within 10 feet of our back deck. And so we got to watch this, this entire process kind of happen with this mom laying her eggs and then sitting on her eggs for a really long time and, and, and then the eggs were hatched and then the birds grew and, uh, and then they were off and on their way and it was really kind of fun to watch this whole thing happen and what, what's so fascinating about it as it pertains to this is that it, it just it was amazing to see how quickly these pigeons grew and became full-grown pigeon adults uh, I mean it was like a three-day period it's like the eggs were there for a month and a half and then all of a sudden they're born and then and then they just grew and then left like so fast they went from like this big to like that was exaggerated. Like this big, and, and that would have run. Like, we got to do something about this, honey, you know. But like, like this big in no time at all. 
And it's so indicative that God, I mean, I don't know where they're getting this food, but God has created these species in order to live and, and to serve a purpose. And how much more valuable are you than them? In Matthew 10, 28 through 30, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body, both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The farthing, which is the more literal translation, was just a tiny copper coin. It was like a penny. And it's like many sparrows are sold for a penny, but God's even taking care of them. And, and so how much more does he have to be caring for you? For you. I think we come to know that we matter in part by who is taking care of us and how people choose to take care of us. And, and, and Jesus here in his own words is like, I want you to know that God takes care of animals, but you, you're the pinnacle of his creation, and so how much more is he caring for you? And if God cares about me, then man, I matter. I mean, that really means that I matter. Think about, like, as you go up, right, in our achievement-based society, like, the higher a person's achievement status in life, uh, the more it seems to matter that they care about you. You know, like if you had a celebrity that, that liked you and cared about you, you'd think you were kind of a big deal, right? A lot of people act like they're a big deal when celebrities care about them. And, and here's God in heaven, right? Through the, the mouth of Jesus saying, look, I care deeply about you. Are you not more valuable than a sheep? I, I, I looked up, it's so interesting, we have... Just think about your animals, right? And you know this about me if you've been around at all. I, uh, we had this dog that died right before our daughter was born. And man, I loved that dog so, so much. Like, I, I, he was like our child for a long time. He was like our child. I, I, uh, he went everywhere with me. He thought the world of me. And I loved that creature, uh, you know, passionately, frankly. I loved him tremendously. But even, you know, before I had children of my own or whatever, if any one of you, you, you remember The Good Son, that movie, when she's, got, this is just popping in my head now, but this, this mom has her stepson and her real son, and they're hanging over the cliff at the end of the movie, and, and, and she has to choose to let one go because she can't hang on to both of them. Man, if it was you or Roy, even if I don't know you, I'm letting go of Roy, right? We all know that. Like, animals are nowhere near the importance of people. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, that's the reality. I mean, would you ever, man, everybody loves dogs, right? Would you ever look at a dog and think it's more valuable than a person? No, you wouldn't. You might like them better than some people, but you would never think that they're (laughs) more valuable than a person. And I think we can get in our heads and that kind of theoretical general idea stops being true in our minds for us. Like we would know that animals are less valuable than people, but in our souls, maybe some of you, you just don't feel like you matter as much as somebody's dog or horse or Siberian white tiger, which has a very high value, you know, like you just don't feel like this is true. 
But Jesus says it is. And then, and then this is what happens in verses 13 and 14. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is how I got ahead of myself. I wanted to read this Mark in passage here. In Mark 3, 4, and 5, the other way that this is described, it says, Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. This isn't Jesus just being theoretical, right? Like, oh yeah, people are more important than sheep, you know, let's move on. Jesus is, is distressed and frustrated and angry that these people can't even admit that this man is important enough to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus looks at this person who seemingly is inconsequential to the entire story of the Bible except for this moment and he looks at him and he says, you can't even admit that he's valuable enough to heal? How dare you? And I think, I think that Jesus is probably frustrated with how we look at people and we devalue them. And I think Jesus is probably sad that we're so hard in our hearts that we look at people and say, it don't really matter except for my issue. But I also think he's probably frustrated that he created us, that he cares about us, that he is taking care of us. And we question whether or not we actually matter to him. I don't think this is some theoretical cold issue for Jesus. I think he's like, please pay attention to what I've said. And as we'll see in a second, what I did. And realize that you matter deeply to me. I just think that Jesus would be frustrated with how we have devalued human life. And how we devalue our importance sometimes. But here's, here's why, I mean really, one of the reasons I, I wanted to just take what Jesus says here in the story of the Sabbath and, and talk about it. Because Jesus doesn't just say like you matter more than sheep or birds or whatever. He lives like every person matters no matter how little they have achieved. I would point out that Jesus never feeds or heals an animal. I don't know if that matters to this sermon, but he never feeds or heals an animal. But man, he feeds and heals and resurrects all kinds of people. He helped women and slaves and non-Jews and the poor and the disabled and the diseased and national enemies. He helped every kind of person that the Jewish person next to him would have said they don't really matter or they don't matter as much as us. I, I think that there is no easier story to find in the life of Jesus than a story of Jesus helping somebody, of showing somebody how much they mattered that had not achieved anything in an earthly sense. There is no easier story to find in the Gospels than Jesus helping, saving healing, taking care of someone that the world had said, you don't really matter because you haven't or you're not or you're not the right kind of person, whatever it might be. I mean, in first century Palestine, like, it was so achievement-based. 
the religious leaders, you know, they were put on this pedestal because they had lived out the law so well. And everybody else was a notch below them, but then there was all these notches. Like, I mean, if you're poor, not as good. And Jesus, I mean, so many poor people that he just takes care of, that he helps. There's the story of this adulterous woman. I mean, you could not be more low. I mean, she's about to be, she's about to be killed. And the story that we read in John chapter 8 is of Jesus showing this woman that she matters by really saving her life and then looking at her and saying, go and sin no more. You matter. People with leprosy, you couldn't talk to them. You couldn't be around them. You couldn't touch them. And Jesus all the time is healing people with leprosy, it seems like. It's one of the first things I knew about Jesus that he healed a bunch of leopards. At least that's how I thought of it when I was six years old, you know? I mean, that's, that's like the first thing I remember. And then somebody told me what it really meant, and I was like, oh, man, that's cool. I remember, I remember as a kid, just in that same period of life, that Princess Diana, she made international news by going into a colony filled with people who had leprosy and and. And it was like such a big deal because everybody was scared to be around them and she just broke down that barrier and 2,000 years earlier, Jesus was showing these people that they mattered by going into their midst and healing them. There's this story of a, of a woman who is um, bleeding. Uh, it's a female problem. She's been bleeding for years and years and years and in her culture, she could not have sat down on chairs. She couldn't have been around her own family. She couldn't have cooked for her family or done anything that first century women were supposed to do. She literally didn't matter to the society in which she lived and she touches Jesus and Jesus could have just kept going. He's in this massive crowd. He could have just kept going, let her be healed, moved on and he finds her and he has a conversation with her. And I think her healing probably changed her life in a lot of ways. But I think that Jesus noticing her and interacting with her changed her life more because she realized for the first time in a long time that she mattered. I mean, Jesus is willing to heal the daughter of a Roman soldier. I mean, this is the, literally the enemy. If anybody could be looked at it by a Jewish person and said, like, you don't really matter. It's the Romans. I mean, Jesus had a, at least one disciple that that before following Jesus would have hoped that Roman soldiers would die. Per perhaps he killed Roman soldiers before following Jesus. You're not saving people that are Romans. You're trying to get rid of the Romans because they're oppressing you. And Jesus, he refused. These people matter too. There's this great story in John 4 that we know is the story of the woman at the well and there's this real little interesting line. It says Jesus had to go through Samaria. We don't know why he had to go through Samaria, but usually Jews went around Samaria. And Jesus goes directly through Samaria. And here's this woman who's a Samaritan and, and has had multiple husbands. Like, she's not supposed to matter. I mean, she has not filled up the jar at all. She's done everything wrong her entire life. And Jesus walks up and asks her for some water. And then they have this incredible conversation. That he declares himself to be the Messiah, but in all of it, she becomes a great missionary for, for Jesus. And, and in all of it, it's incredible because, because he's just showing her that she matters, even though she's not supposed to. Matthew, who wrote this very story, was a tax collector. 
tax collectors were scum to the Jewish people. They were traitors. They had traded. Man, I said, I cannot even believe this existed, but, but they were working for the Romans. They had just turned their backs on, on their people. They were Jewish people working for the Romans. And not only were they working for the enemy, but also they were ripping off their own people by collecting more taxes than they were supposed to collect. And, and Jesus calls Matthew to be one of his disciples. You matter. And you might have heard the story of Zacchaeus, another tax collector who's up in a tree trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. And so easy for Jesus to walk right by in this mass of humanity following him around. And he stops and he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, get down here. I'm going to your house for lunch today. <laughs> you matter. You matter, you matter, you matter. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at the masses. He looks at people and he feels compassion on them. He cares deeply about them. And then, and then he takes care of them. And I'm telling you that Jesus is taking care of you. And that fact alone declares that no matter what you have done, no matter how little you have achieved, no matter what the world has declared about your value, you, you matter. There's these, these two movies that um, I feel like one of them, uh, we talk about all the time in sermons between my brother-in-law, Matt, who preaches here, and, and I. I feel like this movie comes up more than any other illustration, but it's a movie called Me Before You, and it's about a quadriplegic man who falls in love, and then, uh, I'm sorry, it, I think it's been out long enough for me to tell you this, but at the end of the movie, uh, basically, he just decides that he doesn't matter enough to keep living, even though he's fallen in love, and he's happy, his life is good, uh, and, and so he's euthanized. Uh, and And... <laughs> Uh, million dollar baby, kind of that same story. I mean, and, and I think that in some ways, you know, it's, it's this declaration that if you are uh, paraplegic or a quadriplegic, then you, you just matter a little bit less. And so you just determine whether or not life's worth living anymore. Um, it's, a horrible, it's a horrible message. <laughs> it's so opposite of Jesus, who looked at people who could not walk, who healed people that could not walk, right? You matter, you matter. Even if you didn't heal them. I mean, you matter. He forgave this guy's sins before he allowed him to walk. You matter, and now I'll heal you. And I watched this other movie that, man, I thought, it's called The Upside. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, man, I, I loved this movie. It's about a quadriplegic rich man and this guy that he hires to take care of him. And, and in this movie, <laughs> the guy is depressed, kind of the same idea. And then Kevin Hart uh, becomes his caretaker. I feel like that's just going to boost your spirits anyway. Kevin Hart's a pretty funny man. But, uh, but, but Kevin Hart, whatever his character's name is, becomes his caretaker. And, and through it all, this guy realizes that, you know, that life is still worth living. And Kevin Hart kind of shows him that because Kevin Hart is, is poor and uh, has been in prison and life has been hard for him, grows up in uh, you know, the slums, and, and so for him, he's looking at this rich guy and saying, look, you have so much, like, you can't walk, but you have so much, how can you not be happy with the life you have? And, and vice versa, the rich guy is looking at him going, hey, you can walk and you can do things, you know, you matter. And, and the story ended so differently than me before you, because it ends with both of them just realizing how much they matter. And I'll tell you, I just thought about those movies this week, and I, I think 
that Jesus would really like one of us. The Kevin Hart one, obviously. (laughs) Because I think that whether or not people have chosen to follow Jesus or not, whether they've given their lives to him or not, he believes deeply and passionately that they they matter. I had this conversation this week with um, with someone who is a caretaker for uh, a person that has MS and 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 can only uh, move their eyelids pretty much. That's that's the only thing that they have left. And um, and and I just uh, you know as I'm having this conversation with this person, I I'm thinking in my head like. How do you even keep going on? Like, you know, like what does that look like? How do you, how do you keep going? And, and then this person says that, you know, the person they're taking care of, uh, <laughs> it's crazy, really has a ton of joy <laughs> and, and uh, doesn't feel that badly about their life. And then went on to spl- explain it's because, frankly, God has endued this person with purpose and I'm saying this person because I didn't ask for permission to talk about this but 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 God has has just shown them that they matter and, and so they they can't seemingly do anything there's not a lot of boxes that are going to be checked there's not a lot of achievement that's going to be happening but because at some point they placed their faith in Jesus, came to know Jesus as their Savior, they have come to understand that they matter no matter how little they can achieve. Jesus proves it at the end of his life, and this is what next week's sermon is going to be all about. He looks down at humanity, and he looks at humanity and says, man, you're, you're betraying you, me, you're rejecting me, you're doing everything wrong, but I'm still going to die for your sins. I'm going to die for you. And Jesus did die for you. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you've drifted from God, no matter how little you've achieved in your life, no matter what your parents told you about how you, were un- you didn't have value, no matter what, Jesus died for you. And he cares for you. And that means that you matter. I mentioned at the beginning I have these two kinds of family members and, and maybe because of that, out of that, I've, uh, I, I've done something in my parenting. I'm pretty intentional in almost every aspect of my parenting except for sleep training. Um, and uh, I, I try never to tell my kids I'm proud of them when they've achieved something. Um, in fact, it always goes like this. I always say, I'm always proud of you, but I'm really impressed that you just did this. And, and frankly, that comes out of this, uh, this side of my family that I, I've always said, my grandma, who's actually over here, uh, she's one of these people, I've always said that this grandma of mine right here would be proud of me if I was in prison. She wouldn't be proud of what I had done to get there, I don't think, uh, but, but she would be proud of me if I was behind bars for the rest of my life. She wouldn't be impressed, but she would be proud. And just knowing that has, has changed my life. I never had to live up to some expectation. I didn't have to figure things out. I didn't have to earn my mattering. And so I always try to tell my kids, I'm proud of you no matter what. I mean, if you sucked in your game today, I'm proud of you. But I'm impressed when you score a goal. And, and what I think we need to understand, if we're going to understand we matter, is that God is always proud of you because you're his creation. 
He may not always be impressed by what you're doing, but he's always proud because he created you and he puts your value in you, your worth in you. He made you matter. And it was apart from anything that you have achieved or not achieved in your life. And so this morning, I hope that you'll leave here knowing that because of what God has done in creating you, you matter. But even more, you can know that because Jesus proved it when he walked around this earth. You matter no matter what. Let me pray that you'll know that. Lord Jesus, I, uh, man, I think that some people don't give their lives to you because they don't feel like they're valuable to you, Lord. I think that some people, God, have uh, grown up with such an achievement-based, you know, mindset, reality that that they just don't feel like they're worthy of your love. In fact, people use that as an excuse. They they say about you, God, like, I, I just think I'm too bad to become a Christian. I've done too many wrong things. And, and I believe, God, that that if there's people like that in front of me today and, or people who will listen online, God, watch online, I, I just ask that you, God, would would help them to know that they matter to you, God, no matter what, that they matter to you. And... and And then, God, I pray that you would help them to know that your gift of salvation is big enough and good enough for them because you cared about them so deeply that you sacrificed everything for them. But I I gotta believe there's Christians in front of me that that just, they've given their lives to you already, but they just don't feel like like they really matter to you or to anybody. They haven't done enough in church. They haven't done enough in their careers. They haven't been a good enough spouse or parent or friend or whatever. And and so they just, they don't think they matter. But Lord, your life taught us. As you walked around on this earth, you taught us, God, that we do. And so I pray that all of us would understand that we don't have to earn your love. We don't have to earn your care. You gave it to us by your ridiculously amazing grace. And, And it's through that grace we know that we matter, Lord Jesus. Help us all to know and understand that, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.